it's um, it's good to go through Acts. We're we're going through the book of Acts at the moment, obviously, and we're we're slowly getting through. We we spent three weeks in chapter five, I think it was three weeks in chapter five, and now we're going into chapter six, seven, and a bit of eight, and one person pretty much gets two chapters all to themselves. Um, unfortunately. I think it's too long to read the whole entire uh, couple of chapters. Uh, so we just got Ruth to sort of read the, the nuts and bolts of it all without the guts in the middle. So hopefully I'll focus a little bit on the guts in the middle tonight. And um, yeah, we'll go, we'll go uh, hopefully we can walk away from here unharmed and encouraged. That's my plan. A recap. Last week, we were reminded that Jesus is alive. He's the Messiah. And uh, the disciples ended up leaving and rejoicing after being whipped and flogged. They rejoiced because they suffered. They were counted worthy to suffer for the name. You know, they had God's worth, God's value for them was, um, was shown in that they suffered for the name of Jesus. And obviously, we've been noticing over the last little while now, the, the term filled or be, or, yeah, fill or full or filled. And also the repetition of people saying and doing and the Holy Spirit saying and doing, or, you know, even an angel was there saying and then doing. Or doing and then saying. And here we come to chapter six. And I want you to turn with me to chapter six. And I want to talk tonight about it just takes one. It just takes one. I remember high school teacher saying that a lot it only takes one <laughs> that was in the negative sense <laughs> but the opposite is true it only takes one voice to to change the situation it only takes one match to start a huge forest fire it only takes one acorn to grow a massive oak tree it only takes one you know and here we have Stephen a, uh, a regular kind of guy. In the first uh, seven verses of chapter six, we see that the church is at the point now where they're grown so much that there's not just the, the, the apostles are getting out there and they're preaching the message, they're sharing the gospel with people and they're converting people over to follow Jesus. And they're, they're finding that all these people are gathering together for prayer, for worship, for hospitality, sharing each other's food and listening to the teaching of the disciples but also there's other stuff that needs to happen and we're finding at this point in the in the birth in the age of the church is that there's these women these widows of greek origin that are missing out on food rationing and it seems that the jewish widows are getting more and isn't that the thing with church like there's always something to organize we can't just all meet together worship the lord hear it, hear a message and then move on there's, there needs to be a plan now, our board are actually praying about a plan to move forward as a church. So we'd value your prayers in that as well. If you can be praying for them, for, for, for us, for wisdom, as we come up, as we seek the Lord for a plan. And here in the first seven verses of chapter six, we see the church getting together, led by the apostles, to come up with a plan to run a food program. Basically what it is. And... Uh, and so the 12 in, in, in verse 2, you see, so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. 
And so, brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked the idea. So then this little group was formed of these seven men and they're all named there. But especially Stephen takes, you take notice of Stephen. He's mentioned as the only one with a bit of a descripto bit. All right. It says Stephen in verse five, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Okay. And so this, this group of seven men were in charge of managing the pastoral care side of things in the church while the apostles could get on with the business, right? So in verse seven, God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. There was more growth because of this plan. And many of the Jewish priests were converted too. That's fantastic. Because we've been, we've been seeing some of these Jewish priests as enemies, but yet the, the apostles continue to spread the word of God, sowing that seed because it's God's plan to share this message of forgiveness and repentance of sin to Israel. All right. So, so far, we're in Jerusalem still. OK. And so these the church is growing and even priests are coming to be followers of Jesus, which I think is really cool. And then it comes to verse eight and the camera shifts from the 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 church at large to this one individual called Stephen. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Can we just stop there? So far, Stephen is full of a lot of stuff. He's full of it. Lots of stuff. All right. What's he full of? Verse three. Have a look. He's one of those seven people. So he's well-respected, right? Full of the Spirit, all right? the Holy Spirit, capital S. Also full of wisdom, which obviously comes from the Spirit because he's also called the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And have a look down in verse 5. We see he's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, we see he's full of God's grace and power. He's very full. How do we know he's full? How, do, how can Luke write this stuff about Stephen saying he's full of this? What about all the other guys? What about Nicanos or whatever his name is and, and Timon and Parmenius or whoever they are? We don't hear about them, but we hear about this guy, an ordinary volunteer of a food program, not an apostle. This is the first time he's mentioned in the Bible. There's no mention of him in the Gospels. We don't, we, he might have followed Jesus around. We don't know. But here he is, this ordinary believer that's kind of just in the church doing what he can. I can relate to that kind of person. I know you can too. Like so far, we've been looking at the apostles and the Holy Spirit using the apostles to do amazing things, share the gospel with people and, and, and be locked up in prison because of the gospel and miracles and all were healed. You know, all these awesome things that are happening back then. And it's hard to relate to it now, isn't it? Or is it just me? Because I don't see a lot of miracles happening in, in and around me on this, at this extent. I don't see me going into the, into the streets and sharing the gospel with large crowds of people. 
or anyone wanting to be near my shadow and be healed of something. I don't know, anyone else here have that happen to you? <laughs> I can't really relate to that sort of thing, but I can relate to this guy, Stephen. I feel like calling him Steve, but I'll forget just to make him more human because that's really what he is, Stephen. He's just this ordinary, well, he's an ordinary extra in God's plan. His name means crown, Stephanos, crown. And um, he is full. He's doing miracles. All right, verse 8 of chapter 6 says that he's performing amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. And they were Jews. You know, there's Christians around. I don't even know. We could probably find out. I won't show of hands. But there's some Christians around who don't believe in miracles anymore. They don't believe that miracles can happen anymore. There's actually Christians out there that believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were handed out to the early church stopped or they diminished or they were kind of um, hamstrung or they just stopped because, you know, God started the church with amazing miracles and signs and wonders and then the apostles, when they all died, that stopped. And so they say only the apostles that Jesus had did miracles and signs and wonders. These people are, they, they're given a name, cessationists. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. They believe in the ceasing of the, of the miracles, right? You've heard of that? Cessationists? Okay. Um, I, I don't get it because um, I see um, the apostles, uh, there's, there's 12 of them, right? And they were called apostles even while Jesus was alive. He called them apostles. He sent them out because that's what it means, sent ones. And he even sent out Judas as one of those apostles. He did signs and wonders and miracles as well. He went out to the Jewish nation first and healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons, proclaimed the kingdom. And then he was also sent out to the Gentile nations as well. He did all those miracles as well. Uh, but he didn't make it. <laughs> so then the, then the apostles, they sign up this other guy called Matthias in chapter 1 of Acts. And that's the last we ever hear of him. And then this Stephen turns up and he's doing signs and wonders and miracles. I don't get it, but I can relate to it. Um, and what I find it, when I read my Bible, I don't know if when you notice this, but when I read something that doesn't quite sit well with me or I just don't understand it, guess what I do? Try and change. Because my Bible's not going to change. Your Bible's not going to change. The Word of God is not going to change. And if, if, if God is saying something in His Word to me that I'm not comfortable with, guess who needs to change? Me. Yeah. So we live in this, I don't know. And I think I shared about it um, maybe last week, week before, that the disciples following Jesus were in this state of, I don't know what He just said. But we'll still follow Him because... It just makes sense what he says to our hearts. It just makes sense. And so they follow him. And so Stephen, you know, there's nothing special about him. There was just a problem in the church and he went, I'll help out. I'll volunteer for that. And everyone else thought, yeah, no, he's all right. And so are these other six fellas. Let's sign them up. And so Stephen was a volunteer at church. 
But he didn't just stop serving God there. He had stuff inside. He was full of what? Grace, wisdom, the Holy Spirit, faith, power. And so he used what he did have to bring God glory. So he did signs and wonders. Turns out some people that were Jews from this freed slaves bizzo didn't like it. And, and they argued with Stephen. And they couldn't debate with him well enough. Why? Because Stephen was full of wisdom. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. You can't argue with him. And so here are these guys. They're, they're trying to accuse Stephen of something. And they're trying to make, it, make life difficult for him. And they can't speak against him. They can't find anything false about him. So what do they do? They drum up lies and they get other people to lie about him as well. You know when you're doing something right, when there's opposition like that. So Stephen, Stephen gets, this, uh, gets accused, right? He gets accused of three things that I see. I mean, probably more, but he gets accused of three things. Blaspheme of Moses, blaspheme of God, and blaspheme or slander of the temple. Okay, so you can probably see that um, in uh, the lying witnesses in verse 13. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And so he gives not a defense, but a reply. It's really important that he does that because he is full of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will always tell the truth. So he's the spirit of truth. So whenever, whenever you're full of something, it overflows. You can tell when a glass is full of water because it comes out over the edge. It's not full until that happens. You can tell what's in a man's heart, says Jesus, from what comes out of his mouth. Okay? And, and he's not full until that happens. So we've, we've seen about how people are full of jealousy, full of uh, Satan even in Acts already, and how that has influenced them in their decisions and their words and their actions. And here is a man who's full of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus told, told his disciples and us that he's also called the spirit of truth. So he'll always tell the truth. He'll always give glory and honor to Jesus. And so Stephen responds to their accusations with truth. He doesn't argue with them. In fact, he kind of agrees with them, but clarifies their points with truth. See, they bring, it, they bring, they bring accusations to Stephen that are all based on Old Testament things. And Stephen says, I agree with them, but you've missed what they're all about. And so they accuse him of blaspheme against, first of all, um, Moses and, and, uh, and then God and then the temple. But I want you to notice first in verse 17, after these accusations are brought towards Stephen, he doesn't, he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't, get, he doesn't get irritated. He doesn't kind of, you know, get his back up and, and think, how dare you guys say that? Here, I'll tell you what's for. 
He doesn't say that. What, what does it say in verse 17? Uh, is it 17? Sorry, verse 15. Oh, yeah, verse 15. <laughs> at this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's or like an angel's. I wonder what that was like. Did he glow? Like, you know, when you see, have anyone seen Shrek and you see Fiona transform from a person into a, an ogre and she kind of spins around and all glows everywhere and light comes out of her face? Is it like that? I don't know. That's the closest I could get. That's a really bad illustration, but that's the closest I could get. Was there light coming out of his face like that? What does it mean? What were they looking at? And why were they focused so intently on him? It's the same word that, has, like with Peter and John, when they see that crippled man outside the beautiful gate, they focused intently on that man. And these guys are focused intently on Stephen. And they notice that his face is like the face of an angel. Now we kind of think an angel is like a cherub, something beautiful and pretty and whatever. But I look at this word angel and I think, you know what that means? Angel means messenger in Greek. And here is, here is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, about to deliver a message. They don't even realize it, but they're looking at, at someone totally full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Father, says Jesus, will come upon you and give you words to speak when you're in that kind of situation. And here is Stephen doing this. All right. He has the face of an angel and he gives this reply. To start with, he responds about the blaspheme charges against um, against God. Verse 2, it says, this was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. That's his first, first words. Our glorious God. They love him already. He hasn't said a word wrong. He's been accused of this blasphemy, and yet here he is talking about God as our God, who is glorious or full of glory, and he is the one who called Abraham, who's our father of the faith. So he's siding with these, with these guys, and, and he talks about how God is glorious. And he, and he details the story of faith and God's revelation to two people like Abraham. All right. He talks about Abraham's life and then he goes in and talks about Joseph's life. And then he talks about, then he comes into talking about Moses. He gives the, he gives like the whole Old Testament in like a real packaged little um, message for these Jewish religious leaders that are focused on his face. And then he gets to verse 20. I'm skipping over really quick. Verse 20. You like that though. When I skip over quick, at that time, Moses was born, he says, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had, when they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. So he's introducing Moses as someone very beautiful in God's eyes. In fact, that kind of, the word here is weird because it means he was a, he was a child of the city, which is weird. He was a peculiar looking child, a, a really, really special, something special about Moses, he's saying. He's not blaspheming Moses at all. 
He's actually saying Moses was really special. And in fact, he even goes on, if you just skipping down again to verse 37, he talks about Moses as Moses being a prophet, prophesying about the coming of another prophet who is going to speak the very words of God. In verse 37, Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to him, he goes on to say. So he's, he's pointing to Moses, just like those guys were pointing to Moses, accusing him of blasphemy against God and Moses. And he's pointing to God, saying, this is God. He's pointing, God is the God who points towards Christ and faith. In Christ, and Moses is the is the prophet that points towards Christ, and a, and a deliverer from Egypt, sin, death, a deliverer. Hebrews eleven, the great hall of faith. You know that one in chapter eleven of Hebrews. Uh, it highlights Moses as being um, a, a a champion of faith, and he he went through the ordeal. He suffered and trusted God. And he looked forward to Christ. It says, you can look it up in Hebrews 11, 23 to 28, speaking of Moses. And so Stephen responds to them with, he, he responds about God. He responds about Moses. And he gets all the way through to the temple. Or after he speaks about David as well. He goes through Joshua, goes through David. Uh, it talks about the temple. So I want you to have a look in verse 44. Says, he says to them, our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown to Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory, and it stayed there until the time of King David. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who actually built it. So the tabernacle and the temple were the place of worship and the place of the presence of God. That's where the priests would offer sacrifices so that there'd be this relationship continuing between people who were continually unholy but still wanting to have a relationship with God and a holy God who was continually holy and couldn't touch people otherwise they'd die and so there was this holy of holies place where the presence of God would reside and the priests and the high priest would go in every so often and offer sacrifices for sin to keep that relationship going then we get to Jesus who talks about himself as a temple and so Stephen's kind of doing this. He's, he's kind of pointing to the Old Testament and, and talking to these religious Jewish men and saying, by the way, there's like 70 of them, right? And there's just this one man in the middle, Stephen. And he's saying all this stuff in the Old Testament, it actually just points to this one reality, which is Christ. Everything points to Jesus. Moses points to Jesus. Abraham points to Jesus. The sacrifice of Isaac points to Jesus. The tabernacle points to Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross and breathed his last breath and said, it's, it's finished, the temple curtain torn in two and 
there was no more needing to go into the Holy of Holies. Because we read in the next verse, 47, uh, sorry, 48, no, 47. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? So he's saying to these guys, as if, as if, the temp it's, as if it's all about the temple. It's not about the temple. As if it's all about Moses. It's not about Moses. As if it's all about Abraham. Or as if it's all about the Ten Commandments. As if it's all about the Old Testament. It's not. It's about Jesus. And so he says to these guys, he finishes off his sermon. So far, it's kind of good, right? So far, they're all listening and going, I agree with that. I, yeah, I agree with that too. But then he says, 51, which is where Ruth read for us from, you stubborn people. You are heathen at heart. The New Living Translation is very nice. <laughs> you are heathen at heart. It means you've got uncircumcised hearts. Ouch! And you're deaf to the truth. You've got uncircumcised ears. Your hearts are not open. Your ears are not open. In other words, so far in Acts, this same group of religious men and the, and the chief priests have listened to the gospel message multiple times and still no response. You know, the parable of the sower, you know, their hearts are like the pathway. And, and, but yet, God still, through his Holy Spirit, using people surrendering to the Holy Spirit to deliver this word, to deliver this message, the gospel to people. That there's forgiveness of sin and repentance only found in Jesus, the Messiah. He's alive. He's risen from the grave. And yet these people still don't listen and understand with their hearts. They've chosen to close off their hearts and to close off their ears to the truth. And Stephen goes on, if that's not enough. He says, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. I guess he's figuring, I'm this far, I may as well keep going. He is full of the Holy Spirit, and he's telling the truth. And this is Stephen. He's not an apostle. There's no one special here. He's just a volunteer at a food program that said, I'll do that. It just takes one. And he continues on. Yet you, they even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from hands of angels. What does that mean? First of all, there's Sadducees there. They don't believe in angels. But who, who appeared to Moses from a burning bush? God, through an angel. It was through the burning bush. And here is Stephen delivering this message. The Old Testament, he says, is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It just takes one. And at the moment, he's so full of the Holy Spirit that he's overflowing. And what's happened now is that 
even though Stephen is just one against 70 plus other religious scholars, Stephen has now gone from being the accused to flipping the table the other way. Now he's saying that you liars are accused by God, by the Holy Spirit. And they cannot stand it. It says in verse 54, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. That word infuriated is that word we looked at last week, which means cut in half mentally. Their, their bodies were cut in half mentally because they were listening to the word of God, the gospel, with their logic, with their heads. And they were trying to figure out how a loving God could become a human being and pay for our sin in his own body on a crucifix outside of Jerusalem, be buried and rise again. They just couldn't understand it. It doesn't make sense to us. They, 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 they were cut in half mentally and they were furious that this would be the case. And they, were, they, they certainly just they closed their hearts and their ears to what God was trying to get to them. And here is Stephen delivering his very first sermon and his very last one. And they gnashed their teeth at him. We're told in the New Living Translation that, uh, not that they gnashed their teeth, but that they shook their fists at him. In fact, the Greek is they gnashed their teeth. And I think it's really important that we look at that because from here we see a contrast between heaven and hell. Stephen is representing Team Heaven. And the, uh, what were they? The, the freedmen or something? Yeah. Those religious Sadducees and the, the whole Sanhedrin, they're representing hell. All right. So the gospel message is proclaimed and Stephen is completely at, at, at peace. He is completely at peace. He is, he is in the flow. He's speaking the truth in love. He doesn't have to tell them. He could just say, you know what? I'm not going to tell you this because I want you to go to hell. But he tells them. And they are gnashing their teeth at him. What are, they, what, what are people doing in hell? When they turn their hearts against God's good message, Jesus says there is weeping and gnashing in hell, gnashing of teeth in hell. But, verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor. They're gnashing their teeth. He has a peaceful face. Stephen is, is the example of what it means to be an evangelist. It just takes one. He's not an apostle. He's just a volunteer to food program. His name's Stephen, and his name means crown. And he lays down his crown for the sake of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if anyone wants to save his life, he must lose it. All right? Lose it. Lay it down. And then you'll gain it. And that's what we do when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. We do that. We lay our lives down. And we find that he actually knows what he's doing. <laughs> and gives us life abundantly. Stephen gazes steadily into heaven, it says. It's 
it's really cool because right now we know the punchline, right? Stephen dies. Sorry, I ruined it. He dies from a stoning. But it's beautiful here that we see this picture of heaven opening up. And what does Stephen see? He sees Jesus. But he calls Jesus the Son of Man. I see the Son of Man doing what? Standing. Standing at the right hand of God? Yeah. Who's writing Acts? Luke. Luke loves this. He's heard this story about Stephen and he's written it down because he's written a story in the Gospels about Jesus and he wrote it down. And he ends up that Gospel. If you want to go with me there, you can. But it ends up in Luke 24. In the last few verses, then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. Jesus was Jesus left. He went to heaven, right? Even in the beginning of Acts, we see that he, he's gone up to heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God. But he's not sitting for Stephen. He's standing. He is honoring Stephen. We don't know how, I don't know how old Stephen is, but I like to think of him as a young fella. I don't know. But he's, he's someone who was just in the crowd. He was just in the church and he just wanted to help. But he found himself with gifts that God had given him. Uh, he could help volunteer in a program and, and serve pastorally and things like that. But he found that he had gifts that God had given him. And so he just had to overflow with those gifts with opportunities that came his way. And this opportunity that came his way was, was, was the last and the first opportunity for him to declare his faith in Jesus. And he says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God in glory. And he told them this. <laughs> and they shut their ears and ran at him threw him over a cliff. doesn't say that here, but that's what would have happened. They take him to the edge of the city, push him over a cliff. One, one person gets to push the person over a cliff. And then they throw a large stone on top of his chest. And they just all hurl stones at him. Meanwhile, Stephen is calling out to God. He's representing what team? Hell or heaven? He's representing heaven. And what's he saying? They dragged him out. They stoned him. We find out there's a man there named Saul looking after everyone's clothes. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He can say that because he received Jesus' spirit. He has this hope of heaven and eternity because he's put his, his life in the, in the arms of the Savior. It just takes one. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge this sin, uh, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. That was it. That's the end of Stephen. 
It just takes one match to start a massive forest fire. It just takes one acorn to grow a massive big tree. It just takes one person to surrender everything. And so here he is, he preached this sermon and no one came forward to the altar call. That's a failure. Not when it's the word of God. Because we see here someone there that was present while Stephen was preaching. No one was clapping their hands saying, Amen, hallelujah, Stephen, preach it, brother. I like that message. He just delivered it, right? And he died. No one's throwing tomatoes. They're throwing rocks. He died, but there was this one man there called Saul that was watching it all happen. Seed sown. Saul might not have realized it then, but God sowed a seed in his heart. It just takes one. I wonder if there's that one person in this room. You know, like, we're not apostles. We're not like super duper fancy Christians. We're not like, you know, experienced evangelists on television or, you know, we haven't seen massive revivals anyway. I don't know. But I've volunteered in different places for Jesus. That's all it takes. God will open up the opportunity for you if, if he needs you in that space. But I just want to encourage each and every one of us tonight that it's, this isn't about Stephen. This is about God filling just one person and just using them. You know what? And, and Jesus promised his disciples, when you're in that situation, the Holy it's not you speaking, it's, it's the spirit of your father in heaven that's speaking through you. And Stephen... He laid down his crown at the feet of Jesus. And he's there now just praising Jesus. I just love that Jesus stands up. It doesn't say he clapped, but I imagine he did. Because here's, his, here's the first of the martyrs. The first of the, of the per people to die for their faith in Jesus. And Jesus honors that. Why? Because this life is going to finish. This, the, the older we get, the more we realize that. But there's hope. We, have, we talked about hope. We have this hope in Jesus. It's an anchor for our soul. And it goes, it's like we got this chain from our soul that has an anchor on the end of it, which is anchored in Jesus in heaven. And so no matter what happens in this life, even if we get stoned to death, now I'm, no one's going to get stoned to death this week, but bad stuff happens because we followed God. And even though that happens, even if bad stuff happens because we don't follow God, just because life, we have this hope. And Stephen had that hope. And he's an example to all of us because he's just a regular volunteer in a food program. I'll stop. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you use volunteers in food programs. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to represent you well this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.